0: Hello and welcome to Style & Substance, a branding and business podcast for inspired and empowered entrepreneurs. I'm Elizabeth Cairns and together with my fabulous co-host
1: Fiona Humberstone, we're here to help you sidestep the hustle, keep joy at the forefront of your work and champion a more meaningful and sustainable approach to business. We'll talk about everything from purpose to productivity, from colour psychology to creativity, where to start and how to keep going, how to stay inspired, empowered, and more importantly, sane in the process. We hope you enjoy the show. And if you do, please like, share, subscribe, and keep listening. Hello lovely listeners, welcome back to the show. Today we are talking about comparison, competition and treading on toes. And this episode has been prompted by a lovely email question from a listener, hasn't it been?
0: It has, yeah. I mean she has... Well, she, she's just written our episode for us, hasn't she really?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do you want
0: to read it out? Yes. Okay, it's a long one so buckle up guys. So she says, I'm wondering how to deal and how you deal with being copied. I've heard you, Fiona, say it several times on your podcast, that there have been times when you were a pioneer in certain areas and your approach was being adopted by others soon after. I think it was with respect to the resonant branding process. Maybe you, Elizabeth, have had similar experiences. Nowadays, the internet seems like a self-service store where anyone can just go and take other people's ideas and concepts and either directly just copy them or adjust them slightly to make them seem like their own. How do you deal with that? How do you handle the emotional hurt of someone taking your idea, your business baby of many years, and pretending that they created it? How do you deal with people not just taking your idea, but even copying your website text and slogan and screenshotting your videos to put pictures on their website? This has happened to me in several instances in the last few years, even with people I've met personally and talked to my business about. And while I console myself by saying only the best are worth copying – it's still really hard to make peace with it. I've talked to copyright lawyers but apparently there's nothing I can do because you can't patent ideas and a two-word slogan just is not significant enough to count as a copyright infringement, though you can probably imagine how hard it is to narrow down the essence of your offering to two perfectly fitting words. So I just have to deal with it and find myself stalking them on Instagram, though I know it's not good for my sanity. That's why I'd really love to know how you, as someone I admire and respect for their wonderful personality and amazing work, deal with such a situation.
1: Oh, well, firstly, huge love and care and hugs and a big warm blanket of protection around that lovely person, because what a horrible thing to experience. And it's not uncommon. And I think it's really useful to talk about and how can we approach this whole thing feeling a lot more empowered with a lot more agency to avoid that absolutely energy draining, heart sapping, confidence killing experience, that horrible kind of feeling on tenterhooks and feeling on edge all the time when you end up stalking them on social media. And, you know, what's this person going to do next? The whole thing is a nightmare. I think before we get into it, what we should probably say up front is we're not really talking here about those cases of trademark infringement, patent copying, detailed copyright infringement, which would require legal battles and that whole shebang. This is more about the everyday handling of that experience, primarily from an emotional point of view, because we're not lawyers, we're not legal eagles, and we can't really give advice as to how you tackle copyright or trademark infringement directly, but we can talk about how you might handle that emotionally as an entrepreneur. Is that
0: fair to say? Yeah, and and just before we move on from that, there are two really good resources. So there's the ACID organization, Anti-Copying in Design. So they will have great resources and great tools. The other resource that I found on my travels is there's a lady called Sarah Watson who runs a company called balineum tiles I think you call it balineum and she had some big issues with copyright she sued successfully sued a big company that paid her lots of money and damages and very generously she has set up a fund to resource smaller designers with any copyright issues great on her website which we will put in the show notes um you will find some stuff around dealing with product copies and dealing with copyright so we'll put all of those links in the show notes for you let's start by exploring how this shows up in our businesses what kind of issues do you see coming up with your clients typically what they will experience is someone has lifted
1: their brand almost in it, sometimes in its entirety and just reproduced it which might be fonts colors Logo, inspiration, whatever that is, look and feel. The whole brand just
0: looks the same. Yeah. I've had people say to me face to face, oh, yeah, I just I just loved your website, so I asked my designer to copy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it does happen. Um,
1: and, and, yeah, it happens. As the lovely lady who wrote in the question, it happens often when you're a pioneer, you know, when you're out there and you're successful and your brand gets lots of eyes on it. And it can be the highest form of flattery, but we'll get into that. So it could be mm. your your branding, your imagery. It could be that someone's core idea or concept has been taken. This quite often happens with books. If book chapters are leaked early or if concepts are leaked early and then someone just goes off and runs with that and that space is taken. Sometimes it can happen very directly with huge chunks of copy being lifted or... Mm. As the lovely lady who emailed in says, direct copying and screenshotting of images or videos or promotional material just reskinned. Sometimes it happens in the reproducing of the approach of an offering, um, how something is delivered. You know, there's lots of different ways that this stuff can be experienced, which creates feelings that are difficult for the entrepreneur to deal with. Mm.
0: So let's dig into those feelings first before we get into the practicalities of do you just email them and ask them to take it down and if that's the case how do you deal with that like what kind of feelings come up around this? Well I think it really hurts doesn't it and
1: particularly I know you know the lady was asking how you deal with it and for a lot of my clients They spend an incredible amount of time, energy, thought, care, often money with me in developing. Mm -hmm. And that can take a long period of time for some people to really hone their IP, to really get to grips with what it is they're offering, to really fine tune their message, all of that stuff. There's a lot of blood, sweat, tears, heart and soul poured into it. Mm. And when that just seemingly gets lifted for someone else's gain, it's incredibly hurtful the feelings that come up can be those around firstly complete knocking of confidence. Like some people respond instinctively with, Oh, well, that person's got more drive. They've got more about them. They've got more reach than me. I'm just, I'm just going to give up. I'm not going to bother. So it literally pulls the rug out from under them and they lose the impetus to do any more. For some people, it creates outrage and anger and fight and that can, can sort of toggle between that energy of I need to do something about this and then feeling utterly hopeless and not knowing how to approach it but I think generally which whatever your response is it's uncomfortable it's challenging it gets in the way of the flow of where you want to be putting your energy in your business which ideally is on creating your next thing on being inspired and excited about the work that you're doing on delivering your service or your product to your client and it can create feelings of you know unhelpful feelings of comparison unhelpful feelings of imposter syndrome unhelpful feelings of
0: something that you you thought was really precious just being sort of diluted it's funny because I didn't massively identify with those emotions that you were talking about I think for me it is deeply painful and deeply personal Mm. and it feels I think there's a bit of a a sense of an undermining of the value if if I've worked so hard yeah on honing something and then it's just so casually lifted Mm. that's really tough I think it also it can spark in me this real sense of threat
1: Mm -hmm.
0: threat to my business threat to my livelihood threat to my family yeah You know, and and sometimes that doesn't come up. Sometimes it does. We just talked about the income boasters and, you know, these women feeling like something's lacking in their lives. You know, maybe if business is thriving, it's easier to let things go than Mm -hmm. when we're in a challenging economic climate.
1: Yeah, I'd say that's true for sure. But,
0: But also, I think there's this absolute sense of inconvenience because this is something I'm going to have to deal with. And actually, I just wanted to get on and write my book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't like the um, the agenda setting that it throws up. You know, it's a bit like that thing of you, you don't check your emails first thing in the morning if you want to set your agenda for the day.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
0: a little bit the same, isn't it? Why should someone else that's copying you get to decide what you're going to do with your life this week?
1: yeah there is that because it becomes urgent and i mean just to broadly categorize those groups of feelings it's it's the standard stuff that comes up like you say when we feel under threat and our responses to that are either fight flight or freeze typically Mm. um or or fawn actually like just just become very acquiescent and people pleasing um to keep ourselves safe so we'll have one of those four responses probably but like you say, it's derailing often mm. because it's something that you don't plan for that is a bit inconvenient at best and at worst is completely derailing and debilitating and, and saps your confidence and and takes a lot of time, particularly because the stakes, like you say, feel very high, don't they? If If you're the breadwinner and you need to earn a certain amount from your business and then suddenly that earning potential is under perceived threat then yeah we'll have an instinctive response to that whether it's elbows out claws out yeah. or whether it's run and hide we'll have an instinctive pattern that we fall into in that but mm. either way it takes an awful lot of energy yeah and it's not really ideally where we would want to spend our energy in business
0: no or money quite frankly mm. yeah yeah because you know, you ideally need someone to support you through this, so that you don't end up in huge conflict and in a in a place where this is taking more from you than anybody else. Yeah, you know, that I do think there's a way, and this does come up for me more often than I would like. And we have generally managed to develop a way of navigating through this sort of thing, where. Mm. It isn't crippling, but it, it does I have to spend money on this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's it's quite sad that we're not we seem to have lost by and large our ability to be peacemakers or to handle conflicts or to resolve these things. You know, that the, the skill set required for that isn't one that's particularly practiced in a lot of us. It's quite mm-hmm. hard for people to get to. It can generate a lot of feelings of defensiveness. It can create a lot of reflex, knee jerk actions that aren't always helpful. It takes us out of our, you know, when we are under threat, takes us out Mm. of our prefrontal cortex and the rational part of our brain that's enabling us to make those decisions. And we just respond sometimes unthinkingly, whether that Mm. response happens externally or internally, it almost doesn't matter. Mm. There's a volcano in there, whether it's contained within you, Mm. it's still as destructive. So, yeah, we've lost the skills, I think, for that. And and sometimes if those skills have to be sought outside, you're right, it it can get expensive and time-consuming.
0: What do you think drives people to imitate in the first place? Well, I think there's a number of reasons. I think, first of all, it's that deep sense of inspiration and almost not realising that it's doing any harm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So sometimes if we're taking inspiration from a field that we have no expertise in. We don't understand the level of care and attention to detail and thought and love and blood and sweat and tears that's gone into creating that. Mm. We might just recreate something. And we we genuinely don't have the visibility that it's doing any harm. Yeah. And and sometimes it might not be. But, you you know, you hear all these stories around small designers small makers who's you know some then some huge you know I think are particularly bad at producing products that have been designed by a third party but that third party has has directly copied a small designer maker right hence hence
1: Sarah Watson's work in protecting that space And actually, when
0: those big organisations get involved, then we can really see the
1: toxicity of it, can't we?
0: Yeah. And my sense is when I look at those situations, often my sense is that third party design agency that the big retailers have commissioned are probably out of their depth. Because a decent designer will not take something and reproduce it.
1: Mm.
0: They'll pull inspirations from a number of sources and they'll create something new and fresh. And that meets a brief. So yeah. actually, if a big high street retailer is working with a company that is literally taking someone someone's idea from Pinterest and literally copying it, yeah. I think I think that says a lot about the calibre of the designer and the calibre of the person commissioning the designer. Yeah, yeah, that
1: probably doesn't happen so much in the sphere of what we're talking about here does it I mean I see yeah firstly I think it's very very rare that there's an intention or that someone is even aware sometimes that they're copying sometimes I see literal paragraphs lifted and reproduced and in those instances again I still don't necessarily think like you say there's malice there because not a lot of thought has been given to it there's not really a lot of understanding maybe of what that means to do that of the impact it might have on the originator of that copy or that Mm. idea it's really just a time-saving exercise and it's really good so
0: therefore why wouldn't I use that I think it's that isn't it it's this and I think this is why it hurts so much is that when you have spent hours days honing that perfect copy when you've just got that typography just so you've got the combinations and the spacing and the scale just right Mm. often the person doing the copying has no sense of a how difficult that was but b how meaningful where you've landed is yeah and and i think it's that throwawayness of well, I'm just going to take that phrase or that headline or that paragraph and I'm going to use it because actually it sounds really good. It mm. doesn't mean that they it works for them. It doesn't mean that they can own it in the same way. It doesn't have the same resonance. And that's almost what makes it so frustrating and so painful. Yes. And it's painful because it's bad for business
1: on both ends. Yeah. It's bad for business for the person who's originated it. And it's pretty bad for business for the person who has either intentionally or inadvertently replicated it. Yeah. And There's several reasons why I think it's not great for business. And one is this thing that you're talking about around the depth of development and the understanding that you come to. So for a different example, I've been working with a client on developing their IP for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And they are really expert in their field. They have their entire story, their entire career story has brought them to the point at which they're at. They've got an incredible depth of learning that underpins Mm. the opinion that they have the observations that they've made about their particular industry and this particular pattern that has emerged that they have coined a certain phrase around and Mm. it's bang on the money and that's their magic right and that's their magic it is uniquely their magic yeah and you know they're writing a book around it and they're developing products and all of this kind of stuff and it, it is genius and i know that in 10, 15 years' time, it will have spread far and wide because it's this phenomenon of pioneering an approach that makes so much sense, it catches on. Mm. You know, it makes so much sense, it catches on. And and I want them to be a pioneer. I want it to catch on. I want Mm. people to be using that phrase. And, And it would be really lovely for her if she has some sense of being able to own that space as far as is relevant for her business. Mm. But what's happened in this particular instance is an article, which is a bit of a pre-treatment for their book, had got out into hands of someone in the same field and they've taken the phrase Mm. and they've put it out there as theirs. So they've got ahead of the mark. And this happens quite a lot because they spend a lot of time developing and they might not always get it out there in as timely a way as they would ideally like, someone catches it, someone runs with it, and they miss the first post. You know, they miss mm. that first breakout of it. And it's incredibly damaging. But as as we were talking it through, I was saying, well, what's interesting is this phrase or this buzzword might have come out there, but this, it's not going to have very much substance when they get mm. into it. Yeah. There's no depth of understanding that will enable them to follow it through. They'll run out of mileage, like you say, quite mm. often. Because they don't fully understand the subtleties, the depths, the nuances of it, they can really only say that phrase. They can't say anything around Mm. it because they don't really understand it. So that limits their business as much as it does my client's business. And it's also bad for business because, as I think I said in, in the last episode, I do think There's really no such thing as competition in a way. And that's not an airy, fairy, wafty, you know, there's space for everyone. Just get on and do your thing. And it doesn't matter if someone's doing exactly the same as you. There's space for everyone. It's more that when we find our really unique thread in that tapestry, everything weaves together really beautifully. But the key there is to find your really unique thread. And that requires really careful honing. And I think the danger of lifting and plonking is no thought has been taken to do that. There's no real owning of that space. There's no real honing. It just creates noise and confusion for both brands, which is unhelpful.
0: Yeah, and I think that's almost the crux also of why copying is so painful to deal with. Because when we have found our dharma, when we found our thread, Mm. that doesn't stop people coming and plonking themselves in that space (laughs) yeah and then you've you've got to find the energy to weave around it or find a way of either emotionally getting past it so you can move on Mm. leave them over there or encouraging them to find their own thread yeah and their own space It's, it's quite a lazy way of doing business really isn't it and I, I do think that speaks to the pressure we're all under to just get things out there, just get that online course done, just get to those seven figures. It doesn't matter how you get there, just get it done. You know, there's mm. you know, there is there is that sense, and I see this often of hustly coaches just wanting their clients to get an online course out there so that they can tick that box that their clients are you know, making passive income, and it doesn't matter what their expertise is, let's just get that course out there. And it's almost this temptation to just flip your content. So if you've paid for a course, it's, it's okay to then take the information that you got from that course, and represent it. Hmm. And I think that's deeply problematic, because like the example you've given, you shouldn't, you shouldn't run a course on something you're not an expert in. Yeah, because you're going to run out of mileage. You're going to struggle. Yeah, well, that's another thing in, in relation to
1: why it's bad for businesses because it creates massive amounts of imposter syndrome. Huge. Because if you're sitting in a space that you can't authentically own, that has been borrowed or mm. repurposed from someone else, at some point you're going to come up against a brick wall of competence or capability or confidence, and, and that's going to eat away at you.
0: So, I think there's this idea that nobody, I don't think anybody that's listening to this is going to be in that space of actively intentionally copying anybody. No. And so, I wonder how do we mitigate, if that's the right word, against unintentional treading on someone else's toes? I mean, for me, that's all around making sure you stay in your magic, you work. To your strengths and actually you do hone your craft and you take the trouble to develop your ip and you really lean into that thing mm. that makes you unique i think we can do our due diligence around that as
1: well so when we are developing those things there is a conscious step for me of of cutting out the other noise whilst you're mm. doing that stuff so that you're not inadvertently influenced after the fact now we all take inspiration from everywhere all of the time. There really is Mm. nothing new under the sun.
0: Mm.
1: I work with a lot of entrepreneurs who are writing books and they struggle quite often with their own voice, with their own author's voice.
0: Mm.
1: And I always recommend that in the writing, they stop reading. As in stop reading other people's work. Yeah. Because other voices in your head will alter your voice Even though you might want to develop one of their ideas or you might want to comment on something or it inevitably will leak into what you are authentically trying to create. Now, that's a very difficult thing to do if you don't have confidence and belief in what actually you're creating. And I think this is partly why some people, again, will reach for someone else's work because they're not quite fully owning their brilliance or their value and they haven't stepped into just how capable they are.
0: Oh, I also think it comes back to pitching yourself in the right space, doesn't it? So not Mm. overreaching, not everything comes back to this fricking hustle culture, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you can just allow yourself to shine in the space that you're at, give yourself a bit of reach, but not overstretch yourself. Mm. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be learning, but I guess it means we don't all need to be experts. Yeah. We can just be honing our craft being great
1: at what we do i think that's fair and i think the other thing in by way of mitigating it for yourself is we even if we're well-intentioned when we get into creating copy or building websites or putting an offering together we can almost unconsciously look see go oh i like what they've done there i'll use that and think it's okay And maybe it's just a sanity check with ourselves when that starts to happen to go, well, hold on a minute. What am I doing here? What's the impact? Is this right? Let me think about the other entrepreneur in this space. That other entrepreneur might be like me. What would I feel like if this was me? Because Mm -hmm. I think we don't do that. We don't put ourselves in the shoes of other people. We just through, you know, need, desire, focus on what we need to do to make our Mm -hmm. business successful. So I think one of the things is to just be more mindful first off and across the board that all of these businesses are run by people. There's a human behind this stuff Mm -hmm. mostly and what we do has an impact. And so then it makes me think, well, how do we handle it when it happens to us? And I think the first Stage of it is we need a sort of bit of discernment, don't we, as to whether it requires some kind of response. And then, if it requires a response, what do we do about it? You know, how Mm. do we do that? Because not everything will need or warrant a response. And how do you discern what does and what doesn't?
0: Yeah. And when you do respond, there is no question it's going to set you back. It's going to take time, it's going to take money, it's going to pull you off course. I think the key thing is that your decision to respond is an intentional one.
1: Yeah absolutely.
0: Now I yeah. have had things I saw something over the summer holidays and I thought my senses is, this is someone directly copying something that I do but I'm on my summer holidays I'm going to put it in a box and I'm going to deal with it when I get back to work. Yeah. That was an intentional response because I didn't want to create a shitstorm.
1: Mm.
0: in my summer holiday. (laughs) And and actually that was the right thing to do. I think there's a difference between taking an empowered choice and just being conflict avoidant.
1: Yes, because we also have to remember that not responding is a response. Mm. So say, for example, you see someone who's completely lifted your entire brand identity Mm -hmm. and you choose not to deal with that. What precedent does that set for your business and for the decisions that you make going forward? Because if it then happens again and again and again, mm. is it more of a problem by the fourth time? And is the precedent that you've
0: already set for yourself the right one? Well, it's massively diluted your brand by that point, hasn't you know, if you don't nip that in the bud. Yeah. That's your chance gone. Because once there are five brand identities out there that look the same, who knows who's came first?
1: Yeah, exactly. So when you challenge the fifth person because it's got too much for you, they can very rightly come back to you and say, Well, hang on, but this person and this person and this person has also done this. Mm. So it's not actually you, I'm not, you know, whatever that is. Now I'm not saying it's right to always nip it in the bud and jump in straight away and challenge, but Mm. it's just to be aware of the precedent that you're setting in doing that and what the ongoing implications of that might be. Mm. So how do we discern whether it's right to respond to something or not?
0: What's going through your mind when you're helping a client decide, you know, what, what kind of criteria do they generally have?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, so it will feel like a threat already. Yeah. We, we know it will feel yeah. like a threat. Mm. Is it actually a threat? So I think that's really mm. important to establish. What is the potential risk or damage here so that you're looking at it with clarity rather than just in an emotional lens.
0: Mm.
1: Because it may be that it's an emotional threat, but that it doesn't actually pose a threat to your business. And that, that will depend on how much reach you've got, how established your business is, how many other offerings you've got. So for a client with only one offering with a small business, and that's all they do, and that's all they're ever going to do. And someone with potentially a lot more clout comes and just takes that one sole magical idea that's killed their business Mm. so that's a big threat to them potentially Mm. compared to someone who has a much broader reach who has a very established business who has a number of potential avenues now that doesn't mean that if it's not so much of a threat it's not as important to challenge no I was going to say that's not okay I mean I've got 50 courses in my doesn 't make it okay, but I think it's important to understand what the threat is, what the actual risk is, so that the purpose of that being to take the emotional heat out of it so that we're actually looking at things from a commercial standpoint and a rational standpoint rather than just how dare they <laughs> that that knee jerk emotional response so is this an actual threat what's actually happening here? you know what yeah. what am I really getting upset about
0: because there is a co- i mean it's so unfair isn't it but there is a cost to us a potential cost to mm. us a in how we handle this yeah. and i'm just thinking very briefly of those huge quite nasty witch hunts that you see on instagram with people piling in left right and center yeah. you know this there was one last year i remember hideous you know people with huge platforms got involved and it was a real witch hunt now i don't know what happened but yeah. the company that were accused of the copying did say it's not quite how you think it is so yeah. there's you know there's there's definitely reputational damage in terms of how we handle it definitely isn't there definitely um and just goodwill because i think very often the people that are copying you are generally fans <laughs> which is ironic you know I think often it's inspiration gone too far oh for sure yeah
1: undoubtedly and I think that's also in terms of how we handle it in general we'll, we'll come back into the criteria in a sec but in terms of how we handle it in general a really good baseline assumption that we can hold whether we really believe it or not but we can just try it on for size is nobody's setting out to be an ass here yeah. Nobody is deliberately trying to kill my business. Nobody mm. is deliberately trying to push me out of my space. Yeah. Because I genuinely believe for the, for the for the vast majority of people in business, that's true.
0: Mm-hmm. So that
1: assumption can really serve us and take the heat out of it. So everybody's doing the best with what they've got.
0: Mm.
1: Baseline assumption.
0: Let's go back to the criteria then before I butted in. What other criteria do you use to help a client decide whether they should respond or intervene or whether they should let it go in which case there's a whole other coaching process I imagine that you go through to help them through that yeah because it's going to take more than a walk in the woods isn't it yeah generally I
1: think so so. for a lot of things you know if it's a big thing yeah it can do so I think there's always an exploration of what's your desired outcome in this scenario and how likely is it that you're going to achieve that outcome Mm without getting into the legal eagles of it most of this stuff isn't really defined for us legally very clearly so it Mm. is an area of potential immense confusion and people can get on the back foot and everybody can end up falling out unnecessarily but we don't really have terribly clear guidelines as to what's allowed and what's not allowed quite often it feels like a moral issue Mm. Or it just feels just not right, and sometimes it, and uncomfortable. And sometimes yeah. one person can assert that this is really wrong, and the other person can assert just as strongly on the other side that no, I have the perfect right to do this, and I haven't copied or I haven't done that. This has just all come out of inspiration, which could also be true. Mm. But then we come back down to this this sort of moral fiber underneath it. So it's getting people to explore what they are trying to achieve in challenging it. Mm. And is that possible? To what degree can they influence that? Because that might affect whether they challenge it or not. I also would invite people to explore what gives them the feeling of most agency and empowerment in whichever way they go. Mm. What kind of action in which direction makes you feel like you are honoring yourself and your business? Because I think that is, particularly for women in business, that is the hardest thing when we feel encroached upon quite often the response is to wither away rather Mm. than defend and hold our Mm. space Mm. and so most of my work is around helping people to hold more boundaries to create more to take up more space to feel like they're worthy of doing that and Mm. for some people it's to rein it in a little bit and go hang Mm. on we don't have you know this isn't challenging the very fiber of your being we can rein this back in here a little bit so I think it's having a clear understanding for yourself of what is it you're trying to protect both Mm. personally and professionally. And how much does it matter to you? Mm. How much does it really matter given the time it might take or the investment it might take or the, the likelihood that you're going to achieve the outcome? And also what's the nature of the relationship with this person? Because that will factor into it. Is this somebody who's completely unknown a random Mm. that isn't in your sphere? Is this somebody in your community? Is this somebody who's a client? Is this somebody who's a prospect? Is this somebody who's a supplier? You know, those Mm. dynamics of those relationships will have a bearing on whether you decide to move it forward or not. So Mm. all of those things need to be looked at before you knee-jerk instinctively respond from the wounded, triggered, fight, flight, freeze, fawn
0: response. Mm. I remember going on Mark Warner holiday years ago and we met this lovely family um god I think Poppy was about two so it was about eight nine years ago now Mm. and she was just setting up she was setting up as a nutritionist and she was talking about probably someone like Amelia Freer saying I want to model her business and it was with absolute inspiration but almost complete naivety of of what it's like to set up a business and, and how much graft goes into creating a business model that works Mm. for you. Mm. And just this very casual, well, I'm going to model her business, (laughs) you know, like it's there for the taking, like, and I think this is what our listener was alluding to this idea that, you know, our businesses are some sort of public library that people can just, you know, select from as they wish (laughs) yeah and I think it's really
1: tricky that space isn't it because I'm all for modeling out best practice Mm. you know for looking at what works for looking at what doesn't lots of businesses I work with are pioneers in their field you know they've come up with an innovative or an original way of approaching things and actually we want that to catch on Mm. so there'll be times when it won't feel like competition it will feel like boosting and yeah you know, and and it getting stuff out there. So it's also looking at it with the lens of perspective of is what feels like competition now going to feel okay later? Mm. How do I mitigate for that? You know, it's very, there's
0: lots of very subtle nuances around this. And I think this is where we get into comparison a bit, because Mm. sometimes people can take, you know, you've put so much energy into developing the IP and developing the process. And developing the wording that maybe you're a bit on the back foot with the branding or the photography Mm. or the marketing. So someone can just lift that and then add there. And you're probably knackered because (laughs) you've put so much into it. And I wonder if this is where for your client, it was why it was so easy for that other person to just run along because they were at the start rather than at the end of a process when you typically have more energy but I think it's maybe worth quickly touching on this idea of comparison before we move on to how you handle the the copying, because I think when you get copied, it does sharply throw what you do into context, mm-hmm. and that can be quite an uncomfortable space to sit. You know, if you felt like you were the expert, or you felt like you were doing this as the leader in your field. And then you realize that actually maybe what I'm doing is not that unique. Maybe it's not that different. Maybe there are lots of other people doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, I always come back to like the depth of my expertise and the depth of my thinking. And that's pretty unparalleled. And that gives me comfort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I, I also think just briefly that comparison can be incredibly valuable from a branding point of view from the point of view of really finding your space and and honing your messaging and and really carving out the nuances of what set you apart Mm. yeah it's useful as you say though to look at those areas where you bump up against your competition yeah and to see what differentiates you Mm. and sometimes if it's a little bit of discomfort that can actually be really productive, can't it to to really sharpen things up absolutely and to actively
1: seek out difference to
0: actively
1: work hard and and I think the challenge is is for some people, you know where it shows up most often is you know in representations in the copy or is it or in sales tactics or emails or articles even sometimes. And not everybody feels very proficient at writing or positioning Mm. or those sorts of Well, I wouldn't say not
0: everybody. I'd say the majority of my clients tell me I hate writing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so being able to hone your own language, which a lot of this is about, is quite a difficult skill. And I think that's where we can Mm. fall into the pitfalls. And I think copywriters actually also have an industry responsibility in the same way I don't... You see it more in design. I see it more in writing. You know, designers have a responsibility to create unique brands for their clients and to not Mm. create brands that look like someone else's that they've done either themselves or someone else has done. And I think it's the same for copywriters. We can get very lazy and it's going to get even worse the more AI is used. With AI, oh my gosh. Because you just get generic splurted copy with a generic tone of voice to it. And a lot of people who don't write easily for themselves, plug it in, get something that they think is brilliant. And it's, you know, it's often written well. Mm. And the potential damage for that, not just for copywriters and their livelihoods, but the damage to the singular voice, the authentic personality, the, the well thought through craft of representing your brand is potentially really lost there. So mm. this I see actually potentially getting a lot worse before it gets better
0: all of this comes I think often from shortcuts yeah you know there's no shortcut to honing your offering to honing your space to really working out what it is I mean we we had a situation recently didn't we where there were two very similar looking offerings Mm. and there was an approach made and and the initial response was, I haven't plagiarized you. This is completely different. Mm. But everything I could see felt very similar. Yeah.
1: And actually,
0: yeah. when it boiled down to it, as always, there is an authentic story and an authentic space and an authentic audience behind that. And there are very two very distinct offerings. But mm. getting to that point took real skill from you and really powerful conflict management skills to de-escalate a very heated potentially situation and actually what's come out of it is I think really productive Mm. positive there's a great opportunity to really actually work together yeah but that relies on People playing to their strengths and honouring their own spaces.
1: Yeah, and also people being prepared to have reasonable conversations as well. So I think if we, if we skip to how we deal with this, because this is tricky and, and a lot of people's instinctive response can be,
0: I'm just going to avoid this because this looks like
1: conflict. I'm just not going to deal with it.
0: I'm going to send a ranty emotional email and then yeah. inflames the situation.
1: Yeah, or worse still goes out on social media and rants openly and inflames the situation for everybody else to wade in. You know, there are a number of ways we can do this to our detriment. So let's take the assumption that you have come across something that feels like an infringement of some sort, whether it's your brand, whether it's your copy, whether it's your idea. It doesn't matter almost what it is, but there's a feeling in you that this is unjust. This is not right and you've gone through your due diligence of working out whether you should challenge it or not, and you've decided to challenge this, how do you approach it? Now, if we Mm. take the scenario of... So there are a number of ways depending on the context, but let's take the example of this approach is going to require you to connect with the other entrepreneur or the other company or the other individual involved. And I think there are some general guidelines that can help smooth the way and de-escalate things more often than not and the first is to approach the whole thing with compassion Mm. for yourself and for the other person don't assume that this is just going to be a walk in the park because if you've been triggered you are going to find the situation difficult to handle so you have to take extra care Mm. and if you've been triggered And you're approaching someone else who may or may not be expecting that Mm -hmm. the likelihood is that they will also be triggered into a response. So you've got two potentially very sensitized individuals in the mix. So the whole thing requires compassion and an assumption that there is no malintent. I think you can work on that basic assumption to start with. So let's just work on that assumption. And then avoid all other assumptions. (laughs) I know that sounds a bit nuts. So quite often we can read something or see something and then make a whole load of judgments about that. A whole load of judgments about the other person, what they're trying to do, about their competence, their capability, about what it means for us, about what this is going to do to our business. And just being aware of all of those and trying to avoid making assumptions, but rather approaching with curiosity And seeking Mm. to understand first. So that's the sort of general sort of field of being that we're approaching this from compassionate seeking to understand.
0: Mm.
1: Be really clear about what you want before Mm. you go into any interaction.
0: Does that mean you put it in that initial email or you just have that sense of clarity in your own mind? We'll
1: get to how you make that initial contact. So in your own mind first. Yeah what you want the end result of the whole thing to be, the whole scenario to be, what you want the end result of your first encounter to be, and Mm -hmm. that end result in terms of how you want to feel, how you want them to feel, what tangible practical outcomes do you need or want or have as your ideal. You just have to be really clear about why you're doing it because if you're not Mm -hmm. orientated towards that, when things get a bit edgy, you'll lose sight of it. you need to be really clear about that up front and then the approach is to do it through relationship and what I mean by that is recognise that you will have most influence when you are building rapport and you're building relationship and you're seeking mutual benefit than if you are going on the attack Mm. that's just human nature when we
0: see this play out on social media it is always an attack yeah, and it rarely ends well Yeah, absolutely. And everybody just gets hurt and it takes a lot more energy.
1: Mm. And confrontation doesn't always have to be conflict. So you can confront something and you can hold a boundary and you can deal with something, but it doesn't have to feel like conflict, Mm-hmm. and I think that's a distinction that quite often we forget we assume that just in holding a boundary it's going to be bad that it's going yeah. to be we're we're assuming a certain response or we're assuming a certain incapability on our part whatever that is so I think it's those things and then then it's using your sort of powers of discernment to decide what's what's the manner of approach that is likely to yield the best outcome mm. so Basically, any approach that yields a shame response is not going to work for you. (laughs) So if you're going to trigger shame in someone else or yourself, it's probably not going to yield you an outcome. So publicly calling someone out for me would be the last thing on the list. I'm not saying it's never useful. I publicly call out politicians all the time, but then they are there (laughs) to do a public service. And that's what they stand (laughs) for. So frankly, they're up for it. But I think generally for entrepreneurs in business, public shaming, naming, all of that kind of stuff just doesn't yield for good results. All it does is just scores a few points and actually makes everyone feel a bit crap. So you've got the public approach. You've got the pick up the telephone directs approach if you've got their contact details. You've got an email approach. You've got a direct message approach. Just be aware of the feeling that each of those approaches creates a written letter has a formality that email doesn't. Email has a formality that WhatsApp doesn't. WhatsApp has a, a formality that, or an informality that Instagram DM messaging doesn't.
0: There's also that intrusive versus, so, you know, a, an Instagram or a WhatsApp voice note, you can get across the compassion in your voice. You can get the nuances Exactly,
1: across. yeah.
0: But it's a very intimate form of communication versus email isn't it it'll have a different impact and and the
1: impact only really makes and this is why it's very difficult to talk about this in generics but the impact only makes sense in relation to the outcome you're trying to achieve Mm. so like you say a voice note is more personal an email is more formal what's what is the impact do you need to give people a sort of sit up and take notice of me take me seriously I'm a professional business person do you want to come at it more colloquially what's the relationship that you have with that person already mm. the other thing i think to bear in mind is all of these things often come out better when people have time and space to consider their responses so yeah. putting someone on the back foot or under pressure to respond in the moment is unlikely to work well for you or them mm. and often depending on you know whether you need a mediator to support with that or whether you can do it directly The sooner you move it to a more in-person, face-to-face, eye contact space, Mm. the more likely you are to reduce misunderstanding. We know we can't get voice tone across in email. We know that things are often misunderstood, misinterpreted. You can very easily diffuse a situation when you're in the room with someone or via Zoom or with eye contact or a soft tone of voice or a facial gesture that you just simply can't do Via text, email, or WhatsApp. Yeah. But some people aren't comfortable in those spaces.
0: It's okay
1: to get support. You know, sometimes that's why external mediators exist. That's why I do a lot of this work for my clients. It's Mm. having someone in the room that can be a neutral facilitator can really help Mm. and inviting that person. So you've got all of that stuff from your point of view to look at, but then also consider it from the other person's point of view and invite their input to those things. What is it you want to get out of this? What's most important to you in this scenario? Say you've approached someone and you've challenged them around I I feel like this is a breach. I'm feeling mm. very uncomfortable. I'd like to have a conversation about it. That opens the door for further conversation.
0: Mm. So you're not just piling in saying this is what I want. You're saying what do you, you know, thanks for making the time to speak to me. Yeah. What do you want from this?
1: Yeah, because I think getting to a point of this is a lot more acute in hostile negotiation scenarios, but getting to a point of common understanding quickly and getting bought into a common goal makes the way forward much smoother. Yeah. And if you're just railroading in with what you want without any space for curiosity or understanding or for someone to be able to put their point of view across is going to create a lot of animosity and bad feeling.
0: Well, and I guess, you know, anyone can agree to something when they're under pressure, if they're, you know, if they're sort of railroaded into something, can't they? But Mm. what you don't want is to agree something and then them to reflect on it and think, actually, I was really bullied into that. I'm not doing that. And not only am I not doing that, I'm going to take to social media and I'm going to start the witch hunt.
1: Yeah, exactly. So
0: I think handling it sensitively is really important, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and the core to that is just remembering that we're dealing with people. Yeah, and we have to be as gentle with them as we do with ourselves. And if we don't have the resources, and, and at any point, and this is true with any kind of conflict, if at any point in the preceding scenarios, you start to get overwhelmed, you start to get triggered into that fight, flight, or freeze response, you can just pause and, re- and adjourn for another time. Because pushing it through and battling it out doesn't always
0: get you the result that's going to be mutually beneficial so the key thing with handling this is really aim to do it in a face to face way aim to get to some kind of common understanding common agreement and that doesn't mean you being a walkover it doesn't even have to mean you compromising your boundaries does it
1: no not at all not at all i think it's it's
0: entirely possible to hold a very clear boundary with kindness yeah absolutely so I guess the last thing we need to think about is if this is more of a treading on toes scenario rather than a full on breach that we have to be quite proactive about and it needs to take up a decent amount of time. How do we sort this out emotionally? I mean our listener was talking about Instagram stalking. I mean that's a no brainer. You you block them and you you don't follow them. Yeah. So that, that's a pretty easy thing but but what about the emotional fallout? How do you recalibrate yourself? How do you build that sense back up because it it can feel like a real violation actually mm. and it it can really when it happens to me, it really knocks my sense of confidence yeah. actually yeah. so how how do you get your clients through that?
1: Well, again, it varies massively, but I think the situation that leaves people feeling worse more often than not is one where they feel like they haven't got any agency. Yes. So whatever you can do in terms of taking some action that provides you a feeling of agency is what to go for.
0: Mm.
1: So that might simply be unfollow block in the first instance, but it's not always as simple as that if we're taking the scenario where you've decided you're not going to challenge it directly with the person I think being very clear about why you've decided not to do that so that it's a positive affirmative choice for you really helps in the settling of yourself Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: if you've decided not to do that just to avoid conflict or because you don't think you're going to win or because you don't think it's worth it that can kind of leave you just a bit deflated yeah so reframing that for yourself into I'm choosing to focus my attention and my energies on things that build my confidence, move my business mm. forward and lift me up. And I'm not invo- I'm not avoiding this.
0: It's back to that vitality, inspiration yeah. thing, isn't Actively it? Actively
1: reorientating myself feels much more empowering. I think also there's a there is an energetic thing we can do for ourselves which is to put up a virtual shit shield for want of a better term. You know, we have a field of energy around ourselves that can feel very encroached upon when someone mm. does this kind of thing or invades our space. So we can start to feel in ourselves really small, whether you talk about it in energetic woo-woo terms like I do or not. We, we can all mm. probably relate to this feeling of feeling smaller, feeling just a little bit trampled on and unconfident. Mm. And we can actually work with our body's wisdom around that to create more of an empowered feeling and Mm -hmm. I mean you can't see it on the podcast but the postures for those two things look very different you know if we're Mm -hmm. all like shoulders slumped chest inwards head bowed feeling a little bit broken by everything just the action of lifting ourselves up and out lifting the sternum lifting the chin slightly pulling the shoulders back letting the breath relax imagining the edges of ourselves being bigger than they were before so we create this sort of sense of space around us each Mm. breath creating a little bit more space and setting that intention that we can own our space for ourselves creates that ripple so Mm. even if we don't feel like we can have, have agency in the outer world with that individual it can be solace for some people to to take heart from the fact that we can impact our own energy and that energy will itself have a ripple effect. You know, we are metaphysics tells us just in a swimming sea of energy all the time. It is impossible to have something happen over there and not affect us over here at an energetic level and vice versa. So Mm -hmm. if we decide the wave that we want to create, that can actually give us some feeling of agency and empowerment. It's like I'm standing clear in my space is very different from I'm defending myself from all these buggers out there that are trying to get me. It's like, no, I'm clear, I'm in my space, there's space for me. Just having that and creating that physical, energetic, postures, you know, physical stance of it, emotional stance of it, mental stance of it can actually leave you feeling much more empowered about the whole thing. And it sounds trite and it sounds throwaway, but if that's your last recourse then it can have a lot more impact than you think.
0: Yeah. And I think for me, that would look like going back, honing your magic, tightening up your comms, you know, whistling down your portfolio if you have one, really putting yourself out there. In the best possible way and really showing those buggers that you mean business.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and from the energy of the energy that you put into that is really important. So if you're doing it from a defensive, fear based yeah. place, yeah, yeah. it won't, like you're saying, from your inspiration,
0: yeah. it will yeah. have a different impact. Yeah. But it's just, I think it's about bringing back that sense of agency. This has mm-hmm. maybe highlighted something where you need to tighten up your comms. Maybe not, but maybe, maybe it has shown you an opportunity and. And something where you can really take what you're saying to the next level and I think that's really exciting yeah happy days amazing thank you thank you thank you so much for tuning in to style and substance we really hope you've enjoyed the show You can find more information on everything we've talked about by heading to the show notes or by visiting our websites at thebrand-stylist.com or elizabethcairns.com. If you like what you've heard, we'd love
1: a review. We're a brand new show and your support makes all the difference. You can like and subscribe as well as giving us what we hope is a well-deserved five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show too, so please do leave your comments, questions or suggestions for future episodes on our blogs.